Hi, this is Greg McNeil. So last year, I had the privilege of sitting in and watching just an incredible play that was a one-man show all about heroin addiction. The name of the play is How to Be a Respectable Junkie. It stars Chris Bohan. And if you haven't seen it before, he puts on just an amazing, amazing performance. So today, we're going to re-release the podcast that we did with playwright Greg Vovos, uh, who wrote the play. And we're going to re-release that because next week, they're putting on the show once again. Uh, they will bring their show to the Cuyahoga County Public Library, the Parma Branch, at 2121 Snow Road. And it's going to be Thursday, April 19th at 7 p.m. The show's free. If you haven't seen it before, I really recommend that you go out and check it out. It's, uh, it's an amazing performance by Chris, and it's also an amazing education on heroin addiction and what the life of a heroin addict is really all about. I hope you enjoy this show. Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23rd, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm joined today by playwright Greg Vovos, whose latest work is How to Be a Respectable Junkie. It opens June 15th, and uh, my wife and I were delighted to attend their first dress rehearsal last evening, and, and we, uh, we were really moved by lead actor Chris Bohan, by his portrayal of Brian, a heroin addict in his 30s who decides he's going to take his life and uh, he no longer has to destroy the, the lives around him. We were blown away by it. The production is just tremendous. So first of all, Greg, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Okay. So what led you to write such a powerful production about the realities of heroin addiction? in your latest work, How to Be a Respectable Junkie? Well, Greg, I've been writing plays about heroin for a few years now, and this is my third play that I've written about heroin. Um, originally, originally, I wrote one. I was asked by the Fine Arts Theater in Willoughby to write a play that would travel to high schools to warn kids about the dangers of opiate and heroin abuse. It's performed by the students themselves for their peers, so the kids respond to it better that way because of it. Wow. That sounds great. Yeah. It's, it's a great play, and I, I love watching when the kids perform it. But when I was researching that play, I interviewed a, a couple groups of recovered heroin addicts, a group of uh, young men and a group of young women. Mm -hmm. And when I met them, I was really blown away by who they were. You know, I walked into the room expecting one thing and came out with another. I was... I was just, I remember, I remember driving home from the first interview. I was on the shoreway and just looking at the sun. I was driving just almost so emotionally exhausted because I was thinking to myself, wow, it's like our community almost lost so many great people. You know, I, 
I had no idea what really what a heroin addict was, you know, beyond what I would see in movies. Mm. So I thought it would be a little rougher, you know, like. But then I walk in this room and it's just these young people. They were so smart, so engaging, funny, you know, really personable. I'm thinking, my gosh, thank God these people are still with us. Yeah. And 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 then I realize, you know, this this epidemic is just sweeping. It's just moving at such a fast pace. And these were stories I wanted to tell in one way or another because people needed to learn that what they think is true isn't really true. What, what they perceive to be true isn't true. And, and what we're losing are people, people that um, have their families love them. If you met them, you would love them. So after I wrote that high school play, I wanted to write another play that would could even go deeper. And I wrote that play, it was called Well Beings, and it was produced at um, Tri-C Theater, Tri-C West in Parma. And then, though, for How to Be a Respectable Junkie, how we really got to that play was um, a year ago, Nathan Mata, who's the artistic director at Obama Theater, asked a group of playwrights to write a, a one-person show that was would tell one person's story from an underserved community. Mm-hmm. So... When I was researching well-beings, I was going to various town hall meetings about heroin and opiate abuse, and I met a man who was talking on a panel, and he was really engaging, and his story was really interesting, and the town hall was out in Perry, Ohio, and I live in Rocky River, and that's a great distance. So, but after after the meeting, I wanted to go up to him and, and just ask him if I could talk to him more. And he was talking to a bunch of people because, you know, people were going up to him and saying, you know, it was really great listening to you and all. There's a couple hundred people there. Mm-hmm. There were other people on the panel, law enforcement personnel, judges, all, all sorts of people, parents. And and I thought, you know what, I'm not going to bother, bother this guy. I'm just going gonna, gonna to leave. And, you know, that's okay. I still was still very informative. Sure. I walked out, got to my car, and I thought, about an hour drive home I'm gonna go back in and talk to him so I go back in and I introduce myself and he couldn't be nicer and I'm like you know can I interview you and he's like yeah sure of course no problem and so you know we ended up meeting at a Denny's that was kind of in the middle of where we lived and we talked for a couple hours because it was really important to me that I would get this right you know I, I didn't want to write a play that someone who has firsthand experience would come and see and say, that's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's not right. You know, I really, it was really important to me to get it to truth because that's really what drew me into it from the beginning is like what I thought was true or what was true were completely different things. So you wanted to really learn the day-to-day realities of that, of the life of a heroin addict. Right. Absolutely. So we met several times, you know, and anytime I would call him, He'd be like, yep, sure, I'll meet with you. You know, he never hesitated to do that. So I knew I wanted to tell his story. Yeah. And I, you know, wrote the first draft and we did a workshop production of it last year at Obama. How'd you come up with that title? <laughs> you know, the first draft of this play, I wrote the first draft of it and I would never have shown it to anybody except I had to. Like I had a deadline, I had to show it to Nathan, I had to, so he could mm-hmm. see, you know, where are you at in the process? Mm-hmm. And usually I'll write three or four drafts of a play before I will show it to someone. But I just didn't have the time. And I told him all that. I'm like, please understand, this play is not nearly where it needs to be. 
And he's like, it's okay, it's fine, I understand. So at that point, the play didn't have the, it wasn't called how to be a respectable junkie, and it didn't even have the rules that, you know, the lead character in the play has a series of rules of how to behave. And right. At that point, that didn't exist. It was just kind of all these stories strung together in a way that I still didn't know what was really holding them together. Hmm. And at one point, he just kind of mentioned offhand, he's like, you know, it really seems like what's really compelling about this is there's like these rules he'll just throw out. You know, like maybe there's a way to turn that into a structure, you know, like a how-to. And then, you know, and then I'm like, there it is. You know, that's, I wanted to raise questions in people because when audience members are asking questions, then they're engaged. Yeah. So, you know, unless you include his dog, Hope, lead actor, uh, Christopher Rabowen, is the only actor in the production. So, boy, there, there's there's a lot riding on his performance. You know, it, it, the whole production is yeah. riding on that. Yeah. How did you have the confidence to, to put, you know, a big risk? How did you have the confidence to do that? Well, Chris is a phenomenal actor. I mean, he's, he's just an incredible actor. And I'll tell you, when I did the workshop production, I thought, I'd love for Chris Bohan to do this. I've seen his work. You know, I knew by complete trust because I knew what he was capable of doing. So the question at that point was, would Chris do it? Because for the workshop production, we didn't have a lot of resources. And I knew, you know, like, I just thought he's going to have something, a bigger job to do at that point. He's not going to want to do this. But, and I wasn't even going to ask him because I was convinced, like, yeah, it's too low-key. He won't do it. But I remember sitting at work just thinking, you know what, I'll just send him a Facebook message. What, what can it hurt? And he got back to me quickly. He's like, yeah, send me the script. Let's check it out. He read it. And he's like, I want to do this. Um, and that excitement level, within, when an actor has that from the get-go, you, and especially when that actor is talented, you don't have to worry about anything. And you know... Um, that he's going to invest. Chris is a professional, and you know he's going to invest everything into that role. I mean, this is a monstrous role. I can't overemphasize enough, like just how big it is. Well, yeah, he had over eleven thousand words to memorize, right? And and that was amazing. He he nailed ninety nine percent of his lines in the first run through yeah. last evening. I mean, my wife and I just went away uh, amazed at that. You had to feel good. Oh yeah, feel great, and it's, it's. I mean, and that is, and even beyond the words, it's like he's holding the whole evening together. He's carrying it in his body, and his heart, and his soul, you know, and his mind, and it's all on him. And that the energy it takes to do that is, you know, it's astounding. They say that it takes. Um, to play the role of Hamlet is like running a jackhammer for eight hours. And I would say that this would be then like doing that for 16 hours because everything's on him. And it, to, carry, to be in front of a group of people for that long and it's all on you is, is so very taxing. So then when I saw Chris in a workshop production, how quickly he was picking things up, I knew at that point that this guy can do anything and he can do anything phenomenally. And so when the play then grew in length, there was no doubt in my mind he could do it. So now when I see him in rehearsal and I see him and the director, Nathan, Nathan Mata, working together, it's really just like 
it's immense privilege for me and joy just to watch those two guys creating this together. You saw a moment yesterday where the character really has his breakdown and that was like new, like he took that to a new level yesterday and I, I have seen this play a lot. I've been working on it a long time and I rarely get moved in the theater because I, you know, sure. I just see so much, but I was like losing my breath watching that because it was just so, so powerful. So that was incredible. It was incredibly powerful and intense, his performance. Yeah. Uh, Lori and I commented on the drive home that, you know, his performance, it was like a combination of Michael Douglas and Robin Williams. I mean, he was he was really, really impressive. I, I really want people to see his performance because it's the thing about theater compared to like film is it's live. And to be in, a, in an intimate space with an actor, you know, and who's so close to you, living and breathing right there, is, is that's the power of theater. Hmm. That's what theater can do that any other medium cannot. And that's what makes the storytelling so much more powerful. So when you have a, a guy like Chris doing that, it's like something that you don't want to miss. And, and if you do and you love theater or even if you just love stories, once you see that, you're going to be really glad you're able to witness that. So you hit on this just a little bit earlier, but still, I, I have to come back and revisit this. I mean, the work is so, so grounded in reality. And, and how is that even possible? Because heroin addiction, you were never a heroin addict. So the time that you spent with... Uh, the gentleman that became the addict that became your friend. Right. Um, gosh, you guys must have gotten to know one another really, really well because you you have that, you know, the life of an addict and the use cycle and everything. You have that down. Yeah. Could you comment on that? Sure. I mean, first of all, it starts with, with him. And let's call him Brian because that's the character in the play. Mm -hmm. He's a really generous guy. For him to be able to share his story the way he does, first of all, with me, answered any question I had and he answered every question to do that and anytime I call him and be willing to meet with me you know that takes a special person to do that and then for me to call him up and say hey do you mind if we write a play about your story and put it in front of an audience and he's like yeah sure do that he does that because he wants to help people heal and he wants yeah. people to understand what's going on there so it starts with that but you know, before I met him, like I said, I interviewed a bunch of other guys, men and women. So and I did a lot of reading. I read a lot of books. I mean, I did a ton of research. I've been researching this play for years, basically. You know, like this is the third play I've written. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I've been writing this play from the beginning. But it's, it's really about being able to talk to someone. And I would take, I would take everything. I would write it down, I would transcribe the tapes, you know, and so I could really just learn it as well as I could. And anytime if I had a question, he would be there. So it get, it really gets to the point where I'm like creating, when I'm creating the character, to, you know, I just go back and I review it so much. You know, it's just kind of like doing character work and you just you keep exploring at a deep level. But again, it, it starts with the people I talk to and them being willing to to share any detail. And so it's coming up with every question imaginable and asking it and having that. And they're good teachers. I mean, he's a good teacher. He would sit there and just break it down for me. We'd be in Denny's, you know, we'd be in Denny's for like three hours, you know, and 
he pick up he pick up a spoon and he'd show me you know things and, wow. and it's, you know the waitress would walk by probably wondering what are these guys doing exactly you know but, down to the mechanics of right, using absolutely because physically because if it's not real people in the audience will not buy it yeah. and people who know this will not buy it and that's the thing is just you want to I want to hold myself responsible as a writer that it's it's true in reflecting on what we had witnessed last evening in, in actually in preparation for today's interview, I wrote this. Your play is sobering, raw, gritty, with a generous portion of F-bombs thrown in. You know, it, it, it provides kind of an accurate reflection of the reality of the struggles of, that heroin addicts go through. Did you have any concerns that maybe the audience might not be able to relate to that and might not be able to really handle the grim realities of heroin addiction. Yeah, surprisingly, not a lot, <laughs> you know, because I just feel like this story needs to be told and it needs to be told the way it needs to be told. So um, I don't think about that too much as a writer. I actually don't think about that as, at all because the most I thought about it is like what you said with the title. Because I like, I see it on a postcard or like in a big poster hanging somewhere. And then I think about it. I think about it in terms of like an eight-year-old seeing it, you know. Yeah. So that worries me. But when it comes to people in the audience who pay to come to the theater or they're adults, then, then I don't worry about it because this is why you're here. You're here to see the truth. So, you know, the F-bombs. Lewis Black would be happy. <laughs> he would, but my dad won't be as happy. My dad will come up to me and say, you know, AC, you didn't need to use. There's probably some different words you could have used there. <laughs> and my son literally will ask me how many F words are in the play. Because uh, he just will. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's just it's part of the character. And, you know, it's just sometimes it's funny, too, I have to admit. Sure. It always, it always amazes me when I'm in a play when someone swears, how many people laugh at it? <laughs> I'm just like, wow, that is like the easiest way to get a joke. Not that that's what I'm trying to do here, but I'm always amazed by it because that's just the way it is. You know, that's certainly the way it is. Sure. The thing that frames, really, mm -hmm. the, the title yeah. is the fact that the, the lead character, Brian, in, uh, in the play, shares his rules on how to be a respectable junkie. But meanwhile, depending upon where he is in the use cycle, he violates those rules. So comment on that. Right. So there's two things going on in here. You know, there's just, there's the journey that a character goes through, where a character starts and where a character ends, two different places. Um, and there's also, you know, just the brain of the addict. You know, when I, when I was talking to these one, guy, one guys, they told me a story about how they were stealing from Target. They would steal from Target, and then they stole some CDs from Target, and then they returned them to Target and got arrested. And they're like, yeah, it was pretty dumb, right? You know, like, they're like, because what happens is when the brain gets taken over by this drug, it gets rewired, and it's broken down, and, and it's, you know, not as sharp as it can be or should be, you know? So, yeah, huh. but, you know... Um, Illustrates the point, though. Yeah. In Sam Quinones' book, Dreamland, you mm -hmm. know, he talks about how... Walmart kind of also fueled the whole opioid epidemic. People, you know, people go into these big, massive Walmarts and same thing. They steal yeah. stuff and, and that's how they fund 
Yes. Yeah. yeah, I remember when I interviewed one woman, she said she'd be in a holding cell in prison and like 29 of the other women in there were all busted at Walmart. <laughs> I was like, wow. wow. Yeah. But That whole world, these right. little little windows into that world. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Anyhow. So anyway, so Brian sets up these rules at the beginning of the play, and but as this character starts getting broken down, it's it's harder to follow the rules. You know, there's the contradict there's the contradiction of character comes through, the effect of the drug comes through, and he starts kind of not spiraling, but descending into a darker place where he no longer has control. The drug has control. Heroin has control. Like there's a line in the play. Heroin makes and breaks the rules. You know, so he he could have you know, he could have think what he wants to do, but ultimately heroin's in charge of his mind, of his body, his heart, soul, everything, and that's it. So he can try to get control of it, but as long as he's using, he's not in control. Wow. So you've got to be very excited about the upcoming week here. Oh, yeah. Isn't it Wednesday is the uh, debut? See, Wednesday's the preview performance. Preview. Okay. So how does that work, the preview performance? The so preview performances are cool. It's an opportunity for people. It's the first time that Chris will perform in in, in front of an audience, besides what you saw, yeah, and uh, so and tickets are only ten dollars for that, so it's oh. a little cheaper, a little more inexpensive, I should mm-hmm. say. And um, but other than that, it's show conditions. You know, that one's at seven thirty. So, Dobama Theater, which Heights. is located where? It's in Cleveland Heights, right by right very. If you know where the Cedar Lee Theater is, it's right by there. But it's in the the Cleveland Heights Library building. And tickets are available. Plenty of tickets are available yeah. and seating Obama there. Dollar. Yeah, but it'll probably sell out pretty quickly, I would yeah, imagine. It's a whole. And yeah. So the preview or the final or the dress rehearsal is mm-hmm. the 14th. That's mm-hmm. the Wednesday. And the official opening night is Thursday, June 15th. And it runs Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And there's Sunday matinees. Although... On June 18th, which is Father's Day, there's not a matinee that day, but there's a 7.30 pay-as-you-can show. So, Oh, so pay-as-you-can. You yeah. Whatever you can afford or if you know you just want to come in and see it, just come in and see it. And mm-hmm. so we want to make sure everyone who can, wants to see the show can see the show. Okay. And how can the community support you? Do you have sponsorships? How would they get in touch with you if they wanted to support your show? Um, Other than attending, yeah, obviously, attending, come out, you know, please, everyone come out right. to this compelling attending, show. Attending is number one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, if they go to Obama's website, Obama.org, mm-hmm. and you go to the, click on the How to Be Respectable Junkie link, there's a, we had a Kickstarter campaign there, though, I'm, I'm honestly not sure. Okay. Um, if you can continue with that. But just come see the show and, and spread the word and tell people to come see the show. Yeah, that's the biggest thing, the yeah. piece of education that that provides for the community locally and hopefully at some point maybe nationally. Yeah, that would be incredible. Yeah. And a piece of uh, a portion of every ticket sale is going to go to the team center. So, Greg, congratulations on the creation of such a compelling production that uh, I hope is going to educate and enlighten thousands of people here locally as well as nationally on the chronic brain disease of substance use disorder. What, uh, what final thoughts would you care to share with our listeners about the experience and about your production? You know, I'd say this production 
these plays of the three plays I wrote, this one really means the most to me because it's it tells a story of a friend of mine who became a friend through this research. I didn't know him before this. But it really tells story a person's story who has gone through everything that you know, all the horrors of heroin addiction. And and we get to meet this guy and learn about the person he is. And the reason I I can't I write these plays is I want people to I want people who are not familiar with heroin or don't know about it except what they read in the papers. I want them to see that these are people who are suffering. They have family who is suffering. They have friends who are suffering from this. And it's really important to me that the human element is told. And that is what theater does. It focuses on the human condition. And so what I've learned is I've met a lot of people, a lot of great people, like I said, funny, smart, engaging, caring, generous, uh, that have survived this, and they're in the minority. You know, most people haven't. Our community, especially here in Northeast Ohio, especially here in Ohio, you know, we're the hard, you know, we're the hardest hit state. Yeah. And we're losing great people. So, and what we're losing is we're, we're losing first the people lose themselves to the drug because the drug gets them. You know, it's just it takes away who they are. It takes control of their mind. It breaks down their body. It rewires their brain. It's it's a disease, and that's. You know, that message is starting to come out because finally, you know, because there are groups that are pump, coming up and the newspaper are finally telling the stories. But I, it's important to me that people understand that these are people that we're losing and people that are recovering. And I want also to know that, you know, there is hope. You know, when I first talked to these group of guys and I told them, you know, I'm running a play that's going to go to high schools to warn kids about the dangers of heroin and opiate abuse, what can I tell them? And they first said, can't tell them anything. You know, they're going to do it if they want, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's how powerful this is. But then I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, I do, okay. But then they started talking more, and I'm thinking to myself, but you guys are sitting here, you know. Mm-hmm. You're alive. You survived mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And that's when that conversation then really took off. And we realized that, there is hope. There's a lot of hard work involved, and there's a lot of groups like yours that are making a difference, you know. And we need to support people. We need to let them make mistakes. Like it's like we were talking yesterday. Relapses are part of the process. Yep. That's just part of the journey. Mm-hmm. And that's you know that is part of the success. Uh, the ultimate success is because there are relapses happening. You know that's just a fact, and people need to understand that and support that, and not look down. You know. So for me, it's just I want there to be understanding and I want there to be empathy because that's how healing occurs. And so, I mean, what I've learned is we're all people. Everyone's got problems and we all need to help each other. So and I just want I want everyone to get back to their to their to themselves, you know, so that's I don't know. That's a long way. I, I don't know if I came at your answer, but. It's beautiful. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We've been visiting today with playwright Greg Vovos, whose latest work, How to Be a Respectable Junkie, opens June 15th. My wife and I had a delightful time last evening 
attending their first run through, and we were truly just moved by uh, by lead actor Chris Bowen's performance. It's really compelling, and the uh, education that this play offers is just tremendous. So if you do have an opportunity to go out and see this production, I encourage you to do so. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.